Thank you, Jana, for filling in as Pastor Jeff is away this weekend, and thank you so much for being here today. You heard me read earlier out of Acts chapter 15, so I'll ask you to take your Bibles and go ahead and find your way uh, to Acts chapter 15. And the backdrop of this message is, is coming off of a year that has just been, it is what it is, right? It's just been weird. But I flash back to about November and December of 2019, and I flash back to the sermon series that came out of this pulpit and out of many other pulpits where uh, we were hoping and expecting to see with what we called, of course, it was tailor-made for the situation, 2020 vision, right? And, and we were praying for maybe an opportunity to come that would open doors where the grace of Jesus might go out into the streets more powerfully where the churches of the Lord might grow and sustain that growth as people are being saved. And so 2020 vision is what we were looking for in December of 2019. What we got was different. What we got was a lot of distractions. A lot of disputing taking place within society, and that's putting it as mildly as it possibly can be put. A lot of disruptions are all around us. They're everywhere you look. If you try, is that me cracking up there, Mike? Um, whatever your name is, Matt. That's me. That's going to be very annoying. And so we see all of this stuff taking place. Well, that's the thing about disruptions and distractions and disputes. You never see them coming. You don't know what's lurking around the next corner, and you don't know what's going to hit you when you turn that corner. And we find that in Acts chapter 15. Paul and Barnabas, they're diligently serving the Lord. They're diligently uh, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're seeing people uh, come to be saved. And then all of a sudden, a situation out of nowhere presents itself and they have to react and respond to that situation in the right way. And so in Acts chapter 15, that's the backdrop of what's going on to them. We say, you know, it just seems like the Lord would bless the ministry of his saints. If somebody's trying to live right, trying to do good, trying to preach the gospel, trying to lead people to Jesus. If somebody's working the fields for the harvest, you know, maybe God could just make this way smooth for them so they never have to deal with any difficulties difficulties but that is not how life is folks that is not the way of this world and the fact that we live in a fallen world with a fallen nature and we ourselves are fallen people only redeemed by the grace of God it doesn't make us less susceptible to the things that are around us matter of fact I believe we get right in the center of Satan's focus when we get on fire for Jesus and it makes us more susceptible to the problems that are around us. And, and, and that's where I think we find these servants of God, Paul and Barnabas, as they're diligently serving. And, and they were not immune to the distractions and the disputes and the disruptions. But what they, I think, realize, and what I hope you and I realize, is that those very distractions and disputes and disruptions that might be plaguing our life, 
are actually great opportunities that God has placed in front of you. They're great opportunities for his refining fire to come and touch your life and to distinguish for you exactly who you are in Christ. Are you actually walking in the faith, trusting his leadership, or are you walking outside of the faith by your own power and your own might? It's a great opportunity for God to bring a test of evaluation to each one of us and say, do you really believe? Do you really trust? Do you really follow? Do you really listen and hear what God has to say? I need those, those tests quite often. I don't know about you. I'm so glad he tests us in these ways so that we can fulfill those opportunities to find and firm up God's way in our life rather than him allowing us to continually and perpetually go our own way. If I could go my own way, do my own thing, Lord, help us. might have the big boat on the big river in the big town but I wouldn't be doing what God wanted me to do you might have everything you ever asked for if you could go your own way do your own thing but you might not have the abiding presence of God in your life I'd exchange all the world's goods for those moments with God any day and the eternity that he promises will make everything else pale in comparison anyway So, how do we be prepared for God's opportunities? How to be prepared for these opportunities, these distractions and disputes and disruptions? Uh, 1 Peter chapter 3 gives us an interesting verse when it says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense. Now, I don't know if you thought about the word defense. This isn't our text for the day, but I want to bring this out. I don't know if you thought about the word defense, but you know what the word defense is? It's actually saying there's somebody or something on offense, and we know it's Satan who's roaming this earth like a lion, a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. You understand that, right? And in this world that we live in where that is an actuality, you need a good defense. And the defense that we're pointed to is sanctifying the Lord God in our hearts. Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is within you with meekness and fear. You say, well, pastor, that's not a verse about defense. That's not a verse about being fortified against the wiles of of Satan. That's a verse about Bible memory. That's a verse about understanding that you can go to any section of Scripture within a few seconds. That's a verse uh, about learning and keeping the Word of God in your heart. Well, look at what verse 16 says if they put it on the screen, and they always do because they're awesome up there. Having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good rather than evil. You see, that verse is about being prepared. That verse is about being prepared for the things that come your way unexpectedly. Those distractions and and those disputes and those disruptions that enter your life without you looking for them yourself. That's what that verse is about. With all of that as a backdrop, and you're in chapter 15 of the book of Acts, how then to be prepared 
for these opportunities. Number one, always expect the unexpected. Don't you hate it when people say that? Because you start doing the logical calculations in your mind. Well, if I want to be ex- ex- prepared to expect the unexpected, then that means I must know what the unexpected is. No, it means that be ready for whatever comes. Whatever knocks on your door, whatever shows up in your house, whatever enters your life, just be ready because God has already been there before you ever got there anyway. That diagnosis didn't take God by surprise. That situation with your family didn't upset the status quo of heaven because he's already been working in your heart to present you to that situation so that you could walk through it with his strength and with his power. If so, you're leaning into the Lord. Expect the unexpected. It often catches us aware. In chapter 15, verse 1, And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren. Why would these men come down from Judea? Well, because they had a message to teach. They had the welfare of other people in their mind. They were trying to do good. They taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. What's Paul and Barnabas doing? It's the same thing. They're teaching the brethren. They're teaching the brethren that Jesus Christ died for your sins, that he was crucified upon the cross of Calvary. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. He resurrected three days later so that he set you free from the law of sin and death and gave you the grace of God that forgives all of your sins. That's what Paul and Barnabas was teaching. And these brethren, these men, came down from Judea and started teaching, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. All of a sudden, law enters the picture again. The very law that Jesus died to completely, once and for all, fulfill. Well, this doesn't set well with Paul and Barnabas. But do you think before they went to bed that night, they thought we need to be ready because tomorrow there's going to be this legalistic battle that comes in view? They had no idea it was coming. They did not know that that next day there would be this problem that presents itself in their life. These Judean brethren came preaching and teaching. Paul and Barnabas were busy doing the same, but they didn't know their paths were about to cross, and this dispute, uh, this distraction, this disruption was about to take place. So number one, be ready for whatever comes. Expect the unexpected. You know, Jesus' ministry, if you go through and read of the life of Jesus in the Gospels, Most of his ministry was disruption. Be ready for those moments. Secondly, know what you believe and why. Know what you believe and why. There's a lot of beliefs out there. Did you know that? There's a whole lot of beliefs. And if you just go and scroll through social media, you will find that there are people who believe all kinds of things. I don't know how many scientists and 
doctors and, and, and social workers have emerged over the last few years that have graduated from Facebook University, but all of a sudden they're all out there. Some of them are right. But everybody can't be right. And if you start questioning the ones that are out there, they can't give you a reason for why they're right. You know what their reason is? And, and oh, Christians, we're guilty of this too. I think. That's their reason. So you mean the foundation of your reason for what you believe and what you just postulated on Facebook is that you have a brain that thinks and therefore that gives you a supremacy and superiority over everybody else who has a brain and thinks because it's, oh, my child, you who thinks it. Well, blow me away. You must be omniscient. You see... There's got to be a foundation. It can't just be, I think. Now, if somebody comes on Facebook and they've done the study and they've done the research and, and they've actually brought out the statistics, then I look at that case and I go, that's a great case they're making. If somebody comes on Facebook and, and they post an article or, 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 or an idea or a thought and, and they are actually a doctor of medicine, it makes me go, they might know what they're talking about. Now, sometimes they don't. It's still a practice, right? I can't wait for perfected medicine, but I think that's only when we're in glory. So ideas are all around us. Christian, what do you believe about the gospel? What do you believe about sanctification? What do you believe about eternal punishment? Because I often hear it in so many different circles. There can't be a hell. God wouldn't be that mean. Then he lied. And if he lied, he's not God anymore. Because he gave us the truth in the scripture that says there is an eternal punishment. It's called hell and are you ready to know what you believe about hell and why you believe it are you ready to know what you believe about salvation and why you believe it well i think all dogs go to heaven somebody once said and that's the same theology a lot of christians have not just about dogs but about whatever they think would be convenient whatever they think would be nice Know what you believe and why you believe. Look at verse 2, the beginning of verse 2. Therefore, remember, unless you're circumcised according uh, to the customs of Moses, you can't be saved. That's, that's what's going on in the statement that was just made. In verse 2, therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, listen to what's going on. Paul and Barnabas said, uh-uh, that ain't right. It's not about being circumcised. And the men that came and traveled all the way down from Judea said, it is so. And Paul said, no, it ain't. He was from Georgia. That's the way he talked. No, he wasn't from Georgia. Don't, just joking. But look at the words, no small dissension and dispute. It wasn't pretty. I believe there were side takers all over the place. 
people that knew Paul and Barnabas were going, get them, Paul, get them, Barnabas, and prodding them on. People that knew these Judean people or had somewhat liked them when they come into town, went, well, they make a good case over there. And, and there were these sides that formed, and this dissension and dispute was actually something that began to roar within the midst of the people. But Paul and Barnabas knew, and they knew why they knew, that Jesus had covered the whole law, fulfilled it completely when he died upon the cross, living a perfect, sinless life, and he died a sinner's debt in your place and my place. Paul and Barnabas knew that was the factual truth. You see, truth does matter. Truth does matter. Let me ask you a question, Christian. Do you want to be true, or do you just want to be right? You see, aren't they the same things? A lot of people walk, around, walk away self-justified, thinking they've shown themselves to be right, when only their mind is what convinced them of that. But I want to be true. I want the truth of God to be what permeates my actions and directs my steps. And I hope that's the same for you as well. Uh, they knew that they were being true to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that it was grace and grace alone, not by works, lest any man should boast. And we can't boast about what we can't do. It's only what he has done. They knew what they knew. Number three, not only know what, what you know and why you know it, but be willing to do what is necessary. Be willing to do what is necessary. What's Paul and Barnabas doing right now? They're preaching. They're teaching about salvation. They have traveled to this place, and, and they've got an itinerary. They've got an agenda. They've got a destination in mind with the people that they're working with. They don't just wake up haphazard and say, I'm going to do this, and they go and do it. No, when God has directed them, they go where God has directed them, and that's where they are. And when you read verse 2, Therefore, and Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. They had to leave their ministry. That little short window of space to resolve this conflict required that they form this group and they leave what they're doing and they go and give their undivided attention to the issue at hand. How many of us are like that woman that smelled the barbecue? Ain't got no time for this. And we live our own lives for our own selves, not wanting to do what's necessary in the midst of a distraction or a dispute. Not wanting to do what's necessary when difficulties are around us. We kind of want to just put our head in the sand, maybe like an ostrich, or just zone out as we just while away time in social pursuits. You know, the only thing about social in this is your finger in the screen. But they were willing to do what they needed to do. They traveled. 
not only did they travel, but they were ready to be willing to receive. You got to be ready for this. Because in our me first, self-perpetuated country that we live in, it's, it's, it's hard to come to these terms, so be ready for this. But they were ready to receive counsel. You know what counsel is? That means I'm going to give deference to my opinions, which, oh, by the way, might or might not be right, might or might not be true. I'm going to give deference to my and preference to yours. And as a church, that's what we're actually supposed to do. As the Spirit of God indwells the church of Jesus Christ, I might think something is scriptural and true, but if my brethren comes together and say, wait a minute, that's not right, then you know what? The same Spirit that dwells in me dwells in them. And as God has walked further along a certain area with somebody than maybe he has me, I need to give preference to what that brother or sister, that mature person of faith has to speak into my life and listen to what they have to say. There's something in Scripture about elders that lifts them to a place of prominence in the Word and in the work of God that we've somehow discounted and said, if you can wear skinny jeans and sing the lyrics of a song 22 times over, you must be more spiritual than everybody else, so we're just going to go along to get along with that kind of stuff. God says, no. There's a reason they're called elders, because I've walked longer with them. And that's what Paul and Barnabas are doing. They're going to receive counsel. Now, I think, knowing Paul and Barnabas the way I do through scriptures, they understood exactly what salvation was, and they knew where the counsel would land if it stayed true to what Jesus had done. And they had every confidence of that. They knew what they believed and why. So they were ready to quell the situation by doing what was necessary to quell the situation. The nature of this dispute was over what both sides saw as legitimately held beliefs, what both sides held in love for God and a desire for what, was, what they thought was right. When it's all said and done, though, God's not ambiguous. He doesn't go different ways. What's true is true and what's wrong is wrong. And when you're walking through a difficulty or a dispute, especially where disunity is involved, sometimes what is necessary ultimately is to separate. Amos tells us, unless two be agreed, how can they walk together? If the bad theology of the counsel of someone in your life is bringing down the true theology 
of the church that God has brought you to, the real church of Jesus Christ that preaches the word of God, then my friends, I, I think there might be a separation that some of us have to look at with the relationships that we have in our lives. You say the bad theology, the people I hang around don't even go to church. Well, there you have it. They say they're Christian, but they say that they can worship God in a boat just like they can in a church. You ain't going to do it. Now, I'm not saying I haven't worshipped God in a boat. I'm not saying I haven't worshipped God on a deer stand. I'm not saying I haven't worshipped God while hiking in a mountain. But I'm not going to do it just like I do it with the body of Christ because there's something special about coming together as the body of Christ. There's something special about the united worship that the Holy Spirit brings out of those that He indwells. There's something special about standing over here today and not feeling it. And then all of a sudden, the work of God begins begins to come into my heart because you and you and you are singing and singing truth unto God and all of a sudden it lights a fire. Not a fire, a fire. There is a difference. But you have to be willing to do what is necessary. But as brothers, we are to walk in together in love to seek resolve and restoration in whatever difficulty distraction or disunity comes our way we are to do that matthew 18 this is not the topic of my message today but it plays into the counsel that paul and barnabas are seeking for this resolve of a conflict between seemingly different groups of the same body of brothers. Matthew 18, look at verse 15. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Did Paul and Barnabas do that? Check. They said, <laughs> they said no, 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 no. It's not, it's not that you have to be circumcised to be saved. They told him the problem. They faced up to the theological difficulty and answered the question, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. But if he will not hear you, take with you one or two more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. If he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two or three of you agree on earth, you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm there in the midst of them. That verse, by the way, is about submitting ourselves to the authority of God. And when the authority of God is presiding over us, he binds the truth upon the church. It's about church discipline. And bringing people to truth. And it's God's authority to the church for his flock. That he works out of Matthew chapter 18. 
It's not about just getting together for a prayer meeting where there's two or three people. Oh, there's two or three up here. God's going to do what we want him to do. Mm -mm. That's not what Matthew 18 is about. You're a flock. That sheep went astray. God's going to get him back. And he's going to do what is necessary for that sheep to get him back. And my friends, that's what he's asking us to do too. What is necessary in that situation to take care and resolve it? Be willing to do what is necessary. Fourthly, and I want you to hear this in the best heart and spirit possible. Not everybody belongs in your dispute. Not everybody needs to know about your distraction. Not everybody needs to hear about the difficulty that you're walking through. Has this year stunk? Yeah. And I could, woe is me, woe is America, woe is the world, 24-7 if I wanted to. Don't think I'm not above it because I have put some of those things out there in my wife's ear. I have said, I can't believe where this country is going. My granddaddy used to say it's going to hell in a handbasket. Well, I think that it's expedited that venture. But maybe that's not for me to do. Maybe there's a better way of walking through the difficulty and distraction. Maybe there's a better way that's more in line with God's way of doing this whole thing. Look at verse 3. So being sent on their way. Remember, dispute came up. They've got to be circumcised if they're going to be saved. No, that's not the case. Disunity took place. Discussions followed. Decisions were made. Let's take this to the council. They're doing what is necessary, leaving what their ministry was at that time to go to the council. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria. Now, Paul ain't going to let an opportunity go to waste. As they pass through Phoenicia and Samaria, you know what he does? He says, hey, have y'all heard about Jesus? Yeah, Jesus, the Son of God, he came. He's the one that John the Baptist was foretelling. He came. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He died a sinner's death on the cross for you and for me. He died in our place, paid the penalty for our sin in full that we might be saved. He, he gave us grace, which is unwarranted, unmerited favor. And in that unwarranted, mer unmerited favor, he removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. And he remembers them no more. He's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ while he's going through Phoenicia and Samaria. You know what else he's doing? He's checking in on the church. The churches that have started there. And he passed through Phoenicia and Samaria describing the conversion of the Gentiles. So when he checks in on the church, he says, y'all not going to believe what happened. Peter had this great vision. All the animals, all the beasts of the earth were let down on their sheep. 
The Lord said, take Peter, eat. He said, no, not me. And the Lord corrected him, sent him out, and all of a sudden Gentiles were being saved, first at Cornelius' house, and then all over the rest of the area. Gentiles are being saved. Can you believe it? I, I don't see any mention of the discussion and dispute that we just read about earlier. You see, he didn't think it pertinent to bring it up. He simply said Gentiles are being saved. Being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles. And they caused great joy to all the brethren. You ever walked out of a church service sometimes and you just felt like, well, I'm more disappointed than when I came in. You say, Pastor, I bet you never walked out of a church service because the preacher preached a message that you felt more disappointed when you came. I preached some of those messages where I felt more disappointed than when I came in. truth of the matter is we need to know what to say. And you're never going to go wrong talking simply about the grace of Jesus Christ. You're never going to go wrong simply talking about the love of Jesus Christ. You're never going to go wrong simply talking about the work of Jesus Christ and what he's doing. You're never going to go wrong in those areas. You say, then shouldn't, what, we, we got to talk about the other stuff too. Yeah, I talked about hell this morning, didn't I? Because it's a reality. It's a perpetual separation for eternity from the grace and presence of the power of God. That's absolutely right. But you know people camp out on that stuff and stay there. I got a God that says, I love you. And he sure does say that a lot more. Matter of fact, Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. He's never looked at me and said, what am I going to do with you? You're a lost cause. The moment I got saved, he took all that condemnation and all that wrath away. What else am I going to talk about? The fact that he loves you. He loves me. He died on the cross to forgive us of our sins. A perfect, sinless son of God paying the penalty for you and me that we might be saved. You said you've said that a lot today. I can't say it enough. And when we submit ourselves to God's authority, I believe he's going to have us speaking seasoned with grace more than we're seasoned with spit. He did not engage the dispute. He did not talk of the things that would cause problems for the people there in Phoenicia and Samaria. He did talk of the things that, as you read, caused joy. The dispute was important, but it was not meant for them at that place and at that time. You have the right to put anything you want on social media. 
you have the right to say anything you want in the public square. Why don't you preach Jesus a little bit more? Why don't you bring people the one true thing that would cause joy in their heart, and that is that they're forgiven by God who spared not his son, but sent him to die in your place and my place, that we might be forgiven. My friends, salvation is where it's at. And when you've been saved, then the distractions and the disputes and the disruptions in life are not going to be what runs your day, but it's going to be the master and the savior that you walk with. And all God's people said, I hope you're there. I hope you're not letting the times you live in rob your joy. Am I concerned? I absolutely am. But my concern is a very temporal thing. And the home that he's gone to built for me is an eternal thing. And if I'm going to weigh that on the scale of what truly matters... Heaven wins. And that's where my mind gets renewed so that I can walk with my... Uh, I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up right there. But, but, <clears throat> but I just want to say that whenever we read in First Peter, always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason, you're also involved in the everyone. And what's your defense against what's going on today? If it's not the truth, then is it just your opinion? And if it's just your opinion, how much weight does that actually carry? Because my opinion doesn't still my heart. But oh, the opinion of God that speaks truth, it stills my heart. It calms my nerves. And it lets me have joy in the midst of the storm. Maybe that's the 2020 vision that we need. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the fact that you have called us to be prepared. And being prepared is not just boning up on scripture and memorization. That is very important. But being prepared is actually just walking with you. I just said in the message, we've got to do what's necessary. Well, what's necessary is actually spending time with you. It's actually eating. It's actually drinking uh, of the well of life, of, of the bread of life. It's actually being at your feet. And so, God, I pray that we're not so earthly minded, that we're no heavenly good. But I pray, Father, that we actually spend the time where it reaps dividends for ourselves and for others. And that's my prayer today in the name of Jesus and for your glory. Amen.